0: Thank you for downloading this podcast from Emmanuel Church Lurgan. At Emmanuel, our vision is to help rewrite the story of Craig Avon, Ireland, and the nations with the good news of the Kingdom of God. We hope you enjoy listening to this message. Thanks, Tosh. You can go and crash in the corner there somewhere after doing such a good job to deliver all that. It's great to be here tonight. It's a great church. This is a great church, you know. It's a great church to be part of, and um, I would encourage you to get involved in all of those ways, or at least some of them attached described, you know, sometimes um, you don't realize what you've got, you know, you need to know that this is a great, great church, great, great people, a great family of God, and um, it's great to be involved in it, and uh, so, so, um, so get involved and be part of what God is doing in order to rewrite the story of the city, Ireland and the nations. I'm really pleased to be here tonight in order to unpack and start this um, evening service or PM, sort of Sunday PM services called The Practice. Um, We've purposely asked um, people, as many people from Portadown to come across to this as well in this season. before we um, think about doing anything else on the Sunday evenings in Port of we really felt it was important for us to uh, join in on this together and uh, get what the Lord is saying to us. Um, because <clears throat> we want to. We feel that like this is quite a key topic. Um, and my job tonight is to explain why we think it's so key, I suppose. And then next week we're going to get stuck into... Um, the series itself, and we're going to be teaching practices, hence the title of maintaining and developing communion and intimacy with God the Father. Because I think one of the things that we've learned is, as I'll unpack tonight, that not everybody totally understands how to do that when it comes to tomorrow morning, Monday morning, and and the rest of the week. And so the idea is, it's not the case tonight, and because we've quite a bit to get through just with everything else going on, Hopefully, in the weeks ahead, we're going to preach for 15, 20 minutes, and then we're going to give some space to actually practice some of the stuff that we feel God has sent us. That's the, that's the plan. And so I, I just want to try and get across some of the heart of why we're speaking on this series um, tonight and over the next few weeks towards Christmas. Because uh, ultimately, we believe that there is an incredible destiny written over every single person's life. Yeah, you're born with a purpose, you're here on purpose, God wants you here, God wants you in this world, God wants you you're, you're alive, God wants you flourishing and you have a purpose for your life and we believe that, we believe that really, really passionately and so we believe that that destiny is really um, this, that we were born and born again to be like Jesus. Okay, we were born. Uh, now we were originally born. That's our original design. We were born, and we were born again to be like Jesus. Now that's one of those sayings that's so familiar that it actually loses its power. It loses its its sense of wow. But that is that is a wow kind of thing, right? That is an awe-inspiring thing. And uh, and so what we mean by that is we were. My my two daughters are seven and. Nearly seven and five, and uh, and they've started to use the word actually, you know. So in every sense, it's that, that is actually right. Well, so I'm going to like speak like them tonight and say we are actually supposed to be like Christ, like like actually, <laughs> we are. We're supposed to be like Jesus. We're supposed to have a desire to become like Jesus. We're supposed to, what I want to get to tonight, have a plan, right? Like a really practical plan to become like Jesus. We're supposed to be um, obsessed with becoming like him. And uh, the problem is Northern Ireland mentality, evangelical mentality, you know, we're always the worm. We're always the sinner saved by grace, which to an extent we all, of course, always need to remember but what we haven't done well enough in the church is painted a vision of Christ-likeness who we're actually meant to become. And so we want to do that. And then we want to talk very practically in the weeks ahead about how we're going to do that. This is kind of my verse of uh, maybe the year. The one that's been so deeply impressed in my heart over the last few months particularly. Second um, Peter chapter 1. Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through him, let these words just kind of rivet in your soul, you may participate in the divine nature having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Let me pray for a moment. Holy Spirit, thank you that you're here with us. Thank you that you bring illumination and revelation, that you will lead us in the truth. And we ask you now, Holy Spirit, to breathe on your word and to breathe it into our hearts. Lord, we ask that you would um, help us to realize that you bring us the divine power. To participate in the nature of Christ. And that, Lord, you change us tonight and you transform us. Lord, pray that you give us help as we unpack your word. Give me help, God. I ask, Lord, we're desperate for you tonight. In Jesus' name. Amen. Such an incredible scripture, right? That we can participate, that we have been called to participate in the divine nature. That means to become like God, like actually. To become like God, to be a God-like one. That's what our original design, that is not blasphemy, that is the truth. You were born to be like God, an image-bearer, to take on His very nature, to represent Him, to be like Him, to participate with Him. Some some streams of the church use the word theosis, which is a fusing of the divine nature with humanity, that we participate in the actual character of who God is, to become like Him in our nature and to do the things that He does. A Christ-like looking person carrying the aroma of heaven. Is it possible? I hear you say is it, is it even possible? This is the goal. Good old um, Dallas Willard says this, How can we be like him? not as a pose or by a constant and grinding effort, but with the ease and power that he had. flowing from inner depths, acting with quiet force from the innermost mind and soul of the Christ who has become a real part of us. <laughs> I love that. Flowing from us that we just start to become like him. And so we're really convinced of this, and our job is, um, with the help of the Holy Spirit, to help you be convinced of this more and more. And yet we're also aware that even if we do get that, and we kind of agree with it in our spirits, what we've come to realize in our own lives, and as we pastor and shepherd people into Christlikeness, what we've come to realize is that often people just don't know how to get there. They don't know how to, to really receive the transforming actual presence of Jesus into their lives to be changed and transformed. Because the thing about it is often we have lots of information, don't we? don't we? And sometimes on Sundays you can feel like maybe more information or more knowledge or more Bible verses that we have to remember. But that information for some reason doesn't always lead to transformation, Right? And that's what we're after. We're after transformation. And so we're learning that while teaching is important, learning is more important. People learning about God and learning to become like Him. You see, what I've learned is, not that I am, but what I've seen, what I've learned from observing other people is, you can be the most world-class Bible teacher in the world, and people can listen to it, but often they're not changed. I've also learned that we can say something inspirational. You can hear something inspirational that at the time makes you feel, whoa, that was a real, that's a tweet. That's that's an amazing insight there. But we come to the end of Sunday night and we think about how we're going to put all this into Monday morning and it all gets a bit tricky. How am I actually going to make this part of my life? And then on the other hand, we have these environments where we really encounter the Holy Spirit And the worship's kicking off and we feel the presence of God here. And sometimes it even overpowers us or overwhelms us. And yet often that encounter doesn't always lead to maturity. Those are my observations. And not just mine, but many others. And so with this in mind, we realize that often people just don't know how to actually engage with God. How to actually grow in the relationship. Sometimes people say, well just read the Bible. But sometimes the question isn't just read the Bible, it's how to read the Bible. How should I be reading the Bible? How should I be approaching the scriptures? How do I center myself to receive the presence of God in the midst of a really crazy and busy day? That's why people end up either becoming really religious, so they double down and get really tight on their rules, or else they just leave. And that's what I find with lots of young people. They just leave. Uh, And not just young people, actually because they haven't known how on a day-to-day basis to maintain an intimate relationship with Jesus. And my story is, God encountered me. I encountered his love. He did something profound in my life. But it wasn't too long that I started to realize that I like. And the stuff and the encounters that I have kind of didn't always lead to maturity. I noticed this quite early in my life in my and my Christian life, particularly when I started walking with God. I noticed that it, no matter how amazing that service I went to is, in one hour's time, I could be a bit of an idiot. I could be really selfish. I could let myself watch things I shouldn't watch or be tempted towards things. I noticed that even after a real Holy Spirit encounter, with, oh, wasn't that a brilliant meeting? And I, God was really here. I noticed that like a half an hour later when I was out with my friends, it was just being a tube or I was just not being very kind. And that I noticed that there was anger and jealousy and insecurity underneath the surface of who I was and I actually wasn't changing. And I wanted something more. And if I'm being honest and frank about it, I realized that reading every day with Jesus on the toilet wasn't enough. It wasn't enough to change me. Or just mum and dad read us word for the day every day and we prayed and that was amazing and set a brilliant rhythm in my life, but it wasn't enough. It wasn't enough for me to be changed. It was, it was, a, it was a great place for me to be influenced, but it wasn't enough for me to be actually changed. For me to actually start looking like Jesus. And, uh, and so I, I had to discover ways because I wanted the real deal. Because if I was being really honest, the world was far too tempting. The world had far too much of a buzz about it out there that it looked for me just to settle for showing up to church on Sunday and hoping that would get me through and reading the odd wee devotional and listening to a bit of Hills songs. It was never going to be enough. And so what I needed, I wanted the real deal that was either going to be real and I was going to encounter Jesus and he was going to change and transform me. Or it, it was fluff around the edges. And, I, and so I started to read and tried to get understand how other people who are much more spiritual than me did this and maintained. I, want, I loved the idea of looking at older men and women who, when they were 50 and 60 and 70, were on fire for the love of Jesus. And uh, I wanted to be that kind of a soul, and I wanted my soul to be a beautiful soul. I wanted to have a gaze about my soul that um, others would want to look into. And so I started to look at different streams of the church, and I started to discover different practices that would help me to become aware of the real transforming presence of Christ when I was sitting in my university room. And so on a Sunday night after I left here, uh, well, I wasn't here, I was in a chicken shed up a lane in Donna Cloney somewhere, but I, I went, uh, well, not the actual chicken shed, but beside it, um, um, I, uh, I would go up there and I would learn how to close my curtains in my little bedroom, lock my door, and I would learn how to be with Jesus, and I would learn how to die, and I would learn how to receive his life, and I would learn how to write down the things that I needed him to take away or i needed to lay down on the cross and slowly but surely i started to be changed and the youthful kind of we're going to take the world for jesus actually started to have some kind of substance about it and some kind of life and uh, and so that's what we wanted so there's a number of different practices i suppose that helped me understand that and helped me receive the presence of jesus and uh, and that's what we want to teach you over the next number of weeks some practices that might help you in your journey towards increasing Christ-likeness. And in case you think this is maybe all a bit weird and not very biblical, let me just remind you that when Jesus left the disciples on the earth, he didn't leave them a book and he didn't leave them lots of beliefs, he left them a practice. He left them a bit of bread and he left them a bit of wine a cup and he said do this practice and every time you do this practice you'll remember me and God does what God does when we set time aside for him and the spirit comes in the midst of the practice and we remember Jesus Jesus is a lot more practical than sometimes we realize and very simple but he gave us a practice and so We're not going to get into loads of those practices tonight, we will. But I want to leave you with three things that we need to be thinking about in light of all that I've just said. Because if we're going to develop certain practices to be changed into Christ-likeness, then we need to remember, uh, we need to remind ourselves of why we're being transformed. And the only way we can answer the question why we're being transformed is when we get a vision again of who we're being transformed into. Right. And so the the three things I want to say tonight are we need a fresh glimpse of Jesus. That'd be a great thing for you to pray for tonight. The goal of transformation is Christ-likeness. The vision is Jesus. We need to see the one where we're becoming. We need to see beyond just church. We need to see beyond just religion. We need to see beyond even our disciplines and rhythms, as much as and as good as they are. And we need to see Jesus. We need a picture, a glimpse of His beauty. It was brilliant tonight to sing the songs that we did, especially that last one, that Jesus is beautiful. And there is a part of our hearts that constantly, I mean constantly need recalibrated, right? They need... um. Uh, touched by the presence of God to give us a picture of how beautiful Jesus really is. Because as we come to see, our minds in this world that we live in get numbed to stuff, and we lose a glimpse of what true beauty really is. And we actually get fascinated with what beauty isn't, right? We get fascinated by stuff on the TV that's not beautiful. Now, I'm not saying that means it's really, really bad for you, but it's not beautiful. And God is the source of all beauty, and he wants us to look on his face, and he needs to give us a fresh glimpse of his beauty. Uh, Simon Peter uh, was one of the disciples, but, you know, he was a fisherman, and Jesus came to call him. And in Luke chapter 5, we're told that Jesus came along one day, and they had been fishing all night, and he says, Peter and his mates, by the way, you need to launch out into the deep. Peter is thinking to himself, Jesus, I'm the fisherman here, right? You're a carpenter. I know what I'm talking about. You don't. But since it's Jesus, he said, I kind of weary, well, if you say so. And they launch out into the deep and they put the nets out, which we're believing God for here as we uh, articulate vision over the last couple of weeks. They, they throw the nets out and it says they catch a fish and Peter has to actually go and get help from the other boats because the nets are breaking. There are so many fish and Peter's heart is captivated by the voice of the one who spoke to him. It tells us this. This was Peter's response. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and he said, Go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so my question is to you, when was the last time, to me as well, when was the last time you were utterly astonished by Jesus? When was the last time you allowed yourself to be stunned by his beauty? To be completely captivated by how glorious he is? That like Peter, you're like, oh, I'm not good enough. What happened, Peter? Good old Dallas says this. Peter was overwhelmed by the otherness of Jesus. Holiness is fundamentally otherness or separateness from the ordinary realm of human existence in which we believe we know what we're doing and what is going on. (laughs) It's the idea of something else in current terminology. Peter was saying, Lord, you're something else altogether from me. How can you stand to be around me? This something else presented in Jesus and his gospel makes it starkly clear that we are something dreadfully less. It is the burning sense of this that both breaks our pride and confidence and makes us long to be his disciple. This big kind of farmer, fisherman, right? Big, proud man. I know what I'm doing, Jesus. And Jesus gives him a glimpse of who Jesus really is, and his pride is broken. And Jesus has to do that a number of times with Peter, and something breaks into Peter's life, and he has a vision of the otherness of Jesus. Some of us aren't changing in the jesus because it's been far too long since we were stunned by his beauty. He's just become our mate and he's stopped being our Lord. And he wants, to, he wants to captivate our hearts with his beauty. But you see, Jesus never really forces that in people. You've you got to want it and you want to invite it into your life. love this quote from Tim Keller. In religion you obey God, you obey because God is useful. In Christianity you obey because God is beautiful. We obey because our hearts are taken up and captivated by the person of Jesus. There's a phrase in the ancient world that they used a lot, and it's kind of been co-opted, if you like, by certain streams of the Christian church. And it's this Greek word, telos. And telos is is the word for goal at the end of our life. If there's a goal for your life, what does that actually look like? And the thing that we need to realize is that we all have a goal for our lives. We're all heading somewhere. Whether we like it or not, we're all heading in a particular direction. I hope it's Jesus But whatever you're working towards, it would be a good question to ask what your thoughts and your dispositions and the inclinations of your heart are given to. Wherever they would lead, would you like where that would end up? Whatever you're consumed with most at the moment, would you like wherever that would take you at the end? And it's a great question to ask because when you know where you're going, then you can work back from there and put certain things in place in order to get there. And our telos has to be Jesus. And we work towards becoming like him. Because the thing is, we're all going somewhere, and we're all becoming what we're heading towards, right? And so it's really important to realize that. I and mean, So we need a fresh glimpse of Jesus, so he becomes the telos, the, the end goal of what we're becoming like. And it's a good question to ask yourself, is, is that what I'm aiming towards? Is that what consumes my thoughts, or is it something else that I view as success? Because you'll become like that you'll become whatever you, your, your heart gets and your mind is consumed with. So the second thing is, we not not don't need to not just under get a fresh glimpse of Jesus. And I'm using this word respectfully tonight, but we need to recognize how deformed we actually are. So this is about being formed into the likeness of Jesus. Often we don't become formed in the likeness of Jesus because we haven't actually realized the predicament we're actually in. Say that actually a lot, aren't it? These these girls are getting to me. <clears throat> you see, it's the people who see Jesus and who come to glimpse his goodness and glory and who are changed into his likeness because, first of all, they realize how desperate they are for him, how much they need to be changed. They've done something about their pride. In the Bible, anyone who saw a vision of God or saw the transfigured Jesus was utterly undone by their presence, utterly undone. They were in awe, in awe that they could see God and still live. And they were so mesmerized by the fact that not only could they live, but actually God would call him, call them to be like him. I'd love to read this passage for time, sake. So I'm going to leave it, but it's the passage when, when Isaiah saw the Lord and had a glimpse of the Lord high and lifted up. And we're told at the end there that, after this incredible encounter with the Lord, that the seraphim or the angels flew with a live coal, which had been taken from the altar and touched his, touched his lips. In the middle of this encounter with the Lord, holy fire touches our lips and then we burn to be other as well. So Isaiah encounters the other. He feels undone and that he's going to die. But then the holy fire touches his lips and he starts to burn to be other as well. To be holy as well. To become like the one who has touched his life. And when we see Jesus, we realize we have a problem. (laughs) Because we're nothing like what we're supposed to become when we glimpse Jesus. And yet, the beautiful thing that happens is that we have these moments where when we encounter the Lord, we're like, God, I'm nothing like what you want me to become. And yet, you still love me, offer me grace, come to meet me right where I'm at, not where I should be. And change and transform me more and more into your likeness. We're in desperate need of transformation. And it's not behavior modification. It's not just you exerting your will on your own. And the thing that we have to come to realize is all the political and social revolutions of the day bring an illusion of promise to people's lives, but they cannot transform the human heart. They can't, and so we have more psychological, social, scientific improvements and techniques and methods today, and yet we have more mental health, more suicide, and more depression than we ever had. It's a spiritual problem, and it needs a spiritual cure, and the spiritual cure is the presence of Jesus that we receive into our lives daily, and we do that by certain practices, but the problem is sometimes we don't think we need to change but we're being discipled. We're being discipled by a world out there. And just because we're not doing out there doing bad things, that we think we're always fine. But you see, all of our sins aren't decisions. All of our sins aren't decisions. We just end up thinking sinfully because we live in a world that is born in sin, shaped by principalities and powers of sin, and develop sinful patterns in our world. And just because we swim in the same sea as the rest of culture, we pick this stuff up and we become sensitized to it and we allow our hearts to cling to things that are not God. Our hearts get tethered. Our hearts get tethered to things that aren't Jesus. Uh, so what is our heart tethered to? Martin Luther said, what your heart clings to and confides and that's really your God. John Calvin talked about the heart as an idol factory. We're just prone to making idols in our lives. We just get obsessed with the wrong things. It's just a really simple way. If you just think about everything else in life more than you do Jesus, then you know you want to work at that. Because we just get consumed by stuff that that, that isn't, isn't the Lord, isn't his beauty. And, and sometimes it's almost like we can't help it. And so it's not like, what I'm trying to do tonight, it's not like say this in a kind of shame way, but I'm just trying to help us realize it's so important that we develop practices because I don't mean to think sinfully, but I do. Because the prince of the power of the earth in which I live is the devil. And he taints my mind just by the sublimingly almost. And so if I am consumed with, if I am excessive in social media or consumed with box sets or things like that that don't seem wrong in themselves, I just start to think the way all those things come at me. Apparently we look at our phones on average, apparently 150 times a day. We are being discipled by someone. Your kids are being discipled by someone. The question is, who is discipling them? Because they are being discipled. Because they are picking stuff up. And so are we. And so we have to develop practices that kind of push against the onslaught of what comes at us to receive the real transforming presence of Christ, which transforms us. And so I want to finish with then, what do we need to do to overcome? We want to overcome by developing what I call a rule of life. Well, not I call it, but I'm calling it that tonight. But lots of more important people than me have come up with this throughout the ages. And let me explain what this is in the last few moments overcoming needs more than just information or knowledge okay i've said that already overcoming needs us to rehabit our whole lives like so you know what it means to have a habit um we you know to have good habits and bad habits so we have to rehabit our lives in such a way that our lives can be changed and transformed and to do that it requires a practice and throughout the centuries there have been certain leading lights if you like in the dark ages and in the times gone by when the whole of culture was slipping in one direction like it is today and these men or women rose up from the midst of society with a different kind of way of living and they shone like beacons in a dark, dark world. And when you scratch below the surface of why these people like St. Benedict and St. Francis and Teresa of Avilia and Brother Lawrence and all of these people and Martin Luther and John. When you scratch beneath the surface of the light of their lives, you realize that they had habits, holy habits in their lives. And we call that a rule of life in church history, a way of living. Now, when rules may be like a dirty word these days, a pattern might be a better word for you, a pattern of life. This is profound. C.S. Lewis, so if you... Before I put it up, so ha, anybody ever read the Screwtape Ladders? The so, Screw, Screwtape Ladders, okay, is, uh, is brilliant, by the way. But it's by C.S. Lewis. And uh, the, the whole idea of the Screwtape Letters is there's an uncle called Screwtape who's the, basically the chief demon, and he's writing to, like, a junior demon called Wormwood. And he is trying to tell Wormwood what Wormwood needs to do in order to make sure that the Christians, who he calls the enemy, don't become more like Christ, okay? And so Uncle Screwtape says this, to the young demon, Wormwood, because a Christian, somebody has just become a Christian. So Uncle Screwtips really crossed with Wormwood for allowing this person to actually put their trust in Jesus. And so Screwtips says this to Wormwood, "'There is no need to despair. Hundreds of these adult converts have been reclaimed "'after a brief sojourn in the enemy's camp, "'and they're now with us. "'All the habits of the patient, "'both mental and bodily, are still in our favor. That is profound. How many times have we seen it? How many times have we seen the hand go up and the prayer being prayed, but no change in habits, no change in disciplines, no change in rhythms, no change of the affections of their heart. And the enemy's kind of not really that worried. They've prayed a prayer. So what is kind of what he's saying. I'm not trying to be irreverent tonight, but part of him is going, kind of so what, because nothing's really changed. No disciplines, rhythms have taken place in their life that actually show that what he said with his mouth was actually real. And a rule of life hasn't been developed in their life. And so what we want to uh, promote or to preach over the next few weeks is that there needs to be new rhythms and practices in our life that allow for the encounter of the real presence of Jesus to come in our lives. Love this here from James Smith. If the heart is like a compass an erotic homing device, then we need to regularly calibrate our hearts towards them being directed to the Creator, our magnetic north. If anybody's being honest, you wake up tomorrow morning, you you don't need to put your hand up, but think about the question, how many times do you feel that the compass of your heart, even if it's ever so slightly, it just gets kind of pulled off course. It's not like true north. We get distracted. Stuff comes in from the side. And all of a sudden, and so what do we need? We need ways that bring us back. We need practices that bring us back. And if anybody here thinks that they can simply do that by coming to church on a Sunday, and that'll do them the next week, I don't know anybody that's becoming like Jesus that does that. Like, I mean, actually changing into Christlikeness. It's actually becoming a person of love and joy. They're more patient. They're more loving. They're more kind. They're more compassionate. I, I, I don't know anybody that that's worked for. But what I do know is lots of people who I love and know and respect, and they are the quiet heroes who are being transformed into Christ-likeness. And history tells us they are the people that change the world. They are the people that change the course of history. And so what we need today, as philosophers much more important, actually in the world, who aren't always, actually always Christians, are saying that we need Benedicts and Francis's and these people in church history who stood up and actually led a different life so that others could follow. And so as I finish, I want to encourage you to go home tonight and think about a rule of life, which is a set of practices and principles we build into the rhythms of our daily lives to help us deepen our relationship with God and to serve Him faithfully. Jesus is our example of this. Now, you would think Jesus wouldn't need a rhythm. Sure, He wouldn't, because He's God. Like, He doesn't need a quiet time, surely. He doesn't really need a fast. Jesus kind of knows the Scriptures off the top of His head anyway. He doesn't need to read them. It's nonsense. I don't know where we've actually got all this stuff from. It's nonsense. Let's listen to this. We cannot adopt his form of life, that's Jesus, without engaging in his disciplines. Maybe even more than he did, and surely adding others, demanded by our much more troubled condition. That's an understatement if you ever heard one. Our much more troubled condition to Jesus. If he needed these, then we would need certain practices in our lives because, as Paul said to Timothy, we need to train ourselves to godliness. So we all think it's brilliant. Like we watch like Olympics or something and somebody wins a gold medal and we think oh isn't it amazing Jessica Ennis like the work that she put in like it's just so admirable isn't it she's up early every morning you know what I mean she doesn't even eat her Christmas dinner properly because she's just so dedicated to who she's becoming and all of that it's amazing and we find it really respectful but when it comes to the like church and becoming like Jesus that idea of having some sort of like discipline in our life we just think it's naff and 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 yet Jesus Jesus himself had these kind of disciplines, rhythms in his life. There's an incredible verse in Hebrews that says he actually learned obedience. Like Work that out. Jesus, the Son of God, learned obedience by having certain practices in his life that maintained unity with the Father so that he could always be about the Father's business. And that's what we want to be. We want to be about the Father's business. And so we want to teach you over the next number of weeks certain ways that you can receive the real presence of Jesus every morning on the car on the way to work. How to take a walk in the middle of the day and go and encounter Jesus, receive. How to do centered prayer. How to practice silence and solitude. All of those kind of things we'll get into over the next number of weeks. And so I want to finish by just simply saying, on your, on your page, on your sheet um, that was on your seat, <laughs> Um, there's four kind of quadrants, and a really simple rule of life, as I finish, would be to take this away, if we'd had time tonight, we'd have got you to do it here and here now, with, uh, uh, with, with pens and stuff, but I think we're just sort of uh, pushing time, so we'll, we'll not do this, but fr- from now on, we are going to do this on Sunday nights, just do something like this in response for five, five or ten minutes here, what I'd love you to think about is a really simple way to do a rule of life. We can put these um, Powerpoints up on the on the screen <clears throat> is what is your plan? Like let's, let's cut the superficial chat, right? Let's get right. What is your plan to be like Jesus? What's your actual plan? So sorry, right, I' sitting over coffee and go, oh, I really want to be like Jesus? I want to be what is your plan? What are you going to do? What am I going to do? That's the question. And so I would encourage you, here's the steps. Write down everything that you currently do that nurtures your spirit and fills you with delight. Okay? Well, maybe email these out to you. Step two, write down the activities you need to avoid limit or eliminate the pull you away from christ okay so i'd encourage you on the other side of this page to write draw draw a couple of columns what are the things that help you and you don't have to do all the spiritual things right you might connect with god by painting or going for a walk or gardening you might want to put some of those things down as well as obviously reading the bible and praying then write down the things that you need to get out like overstretching yourself and work or just being completely obsessed with social media, or just watching far too much TV, right? You might just want to get practical and go, I want to cut that back a bit. I want to strip that back in, in my life. Number Step three, what are the challenging have-tos in this season of your life that are impacting your rhythms? You need to think in the season of life you're in, what are some of the things that I just have to do? That, it might be a sick parent. It might be um, a, a, a difficulty in home with one of your children that you just need to give yourself to. It's good to be aware of those things because those things are important and take up your time. And then, basically, what I want to encourage you to do tonight, as, as you see here, there's, there's four different quadrants, prayer, rest, relationships, and work. And I, I would love you to think about what are some of the things that you could write into each of those squares that's on this sheet that what's your prayer life going to be like? And so just so this doesn't feel too theory, let me just show you mine that I did back in January, as long as you don't tell anybody. (laughs) It was a joke. There's so many of you here. (laughs) All right. So here's my personal one. So like I I did this in January in my own journal. I said in my personal, I I want to try and have 30 minutes devotion with Jesus in the morning. Now, I don't pray through all my lists in the morning. Right? I, do, I try to do that at night and throughout the day because I just need a look at Jesus in the morning because I'm not really that much good to anybody else until I see him. So I try to get 30 minutes. Some mornings it's 20. Some, minutes, some mornings it's 15. Some mornings it's 40. Okay, But whatever that might be for you, it might be starting at 10 minutes. Just get my eyes on Jesus. I try to do 10 minutes in the evening before I go to bed. I just try to review my day. We're going to teach you how to do that. Some of these practices we're going to actually teach you over the next number of, of weeks. I, I, I'm trying to read all the Psalms and the Proverbs, just read them aloud, pray them out loud every morning a couple of days and I'm trying to go through Psalms and the Proverbs three times throughout the whole year and I've been able to keep to that one I'm on my third kind of go round. I want to take one hour in the prayer room, Tash talked about it I want to pray for certain things each day. So on a Monday, I pray for my mum and dad. On a Tuesday, I pray for my sister and Ricky. On a Wednesday, I pray for my other sister. And daddy. I pray, pray through my family. I pray through my nieces and nephews' names. I pray through for different people in church. Yeah, Just to try, and when I'm going throughout the day, at least I remember on a Monday, this is who I pray for. And then I pray my list through the day and maybe at night. And then I just want to try and take, which I haven't been very good at, a few kind of days away just to spend time with Jesus on, on, on my own. Somewhere weird, <laughs> and then just to finish that rest. So, I, I, I've worked out that the best time for me to Sabbath because Sunday's like a work day for me is I'm going to from Friday at lunchtime the Saturday through the tea time. For the most part, that's going to be a time when it's family and rest and go for a run and chill out and watch a film with Rachel or something like that. You still call them films. I need to run twice a week. I just need to do that for my brain to work properly, right? I, I wanna ha- I've learned that for my own mental health I need to have a, a holiday one in the summer and one at Christmas. And if I work towards that then I know that I can stay in the rhythms that God has for me. Because I, I love to read I want to re- try and read one book a month, right? And then my relationships. So I want to have uh, 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 Rich is not here tonight, thank God. I want to try and have one one at night a month with with Rachel. We've kind of done that, right? We have a weekend family tradition every Friday afternoon. We have a we have a wee tradition as a family. We we try, try and do maybe something with one of the kids in their own. Uh, me and my, me and my dad have a coffee every Friday. We need to get back in that, Dad, don't we, after the summer? But we we meet every Friday morning and hang out because I just want to spend time with them. Life. I want to go and see somebody. I want to see a counsellor at least twice a year um, who I can just offload with and help me think through some stuff. I want to prioritise my champion friends and the people that I want to champion and I want to prioritise seeing my non-Christian friends in my life. And so I'm just giving you some examples, okay? I'm not telling you my work ones because it'll bore you. But I just want you to get an idea of how you can set and have an actual plan to actually meet with Jesus so that you can actually become like him. Yeah? And some of these things that we've said, and if you, th- if, you know, that is, that, is, that is not weird. Right? That is not weird. That is very, very practical. Because there's lots of people that I know, and I, I, I you know, faithful, there's, there's lots of us, and what I've found in my life, I can keep on doing the motions, right? But I'm not necessarily becoming like Jesus. So, if you're still as angry as you were under the surface as you were ten years ago, that's not supposed to be the case. And if you're not here's the other thing: if you're not emotionally mature, you're not spiritually mature, right? If you're not emotionally mature, you're not spiritually mature because we're body, soul, and spirit. And if if you're cranky, hard to get on with in the house, huff easily. Right? Which we all do. Right? I, I do this. The reason I'm talking is this is all my experience. That is not like Jesus. And I'll, I'll still be working it to the day I die. But I want, I want the thing to be real. I don't want to come to church and just put on some kind of show, raise my hands, everybody thinks I love Jesus, and go home and I'm just not a very nice person. Right? We want to become like Jesus. Love, joy, peace, Goodness, gentleness, self-control, kindness, compassion. It's a vision to become like Jesus. To participate in the divine nature. And the divine power that comes with the working of the Spirit in our lives is there to help us become like Him. Why don't we stand on your feet and let me pray for you as we finish. The end goal in all of this is not to become like really good rule keepers. (laughs) It's to be alive with the presence of God. Finished with that quote. Look at this quote on, on the screens. The more I considered Christianity, the more I found that while it had established a rule and order, the chief aim of that order was to give room for good things to run wild. That's what we're called to. We're called to run wild with the presence of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. But we can only know that when we establish a rule, when we establish patterns, when we establish disciplines. And here's the thing. It feels clunky at the start, right? But see, once you do it for a while, you miss it when you don't have it. I have missed... The last two weeks haven't been brilliant, for example, at that little rhythm before I go to bed because it's just been so much on and it probably worked too much. And I haven't centered myself enough before I go to bed. I really miss it. I miss it. I miss it because over the summer it's just hanging out with Jesus every night, and it was, the, it was like, it was like what I was born to know. It's a, it's a it's a discipline that leads to life, righteousness, joy, and peace in the Holy Ghost. That's the end goal. It's a door to liberation. It's a door to freedom. It's a door to the wildness of the spirit pulsing through our beings and being gloriously alive on this earth. We're not, we're not supposed to just be here to get saved, put in our time before we go to heaven. We're supposed to embrace all of life and all its fullness here and now and that gift's available to us. And so Holy Spirit, I pray right now that you just start to rest on us, God. Rest on your sons and daughters, oh God. God, would you just call us? Call us to Christ-likeness. Call us. Call us to the beauty of what it is to know you, Jesus. Call us, God, to the beauty of it is to be like you and to do the things that you do, to take on your nature and to do the things that you do. So Holy Spirit, start to captivate, challenge our hearts tonight about, Lord, some of the patterns that would work for us in our particular and unique season of life in order that we can receive the real presence of Jesus. Teach us how to pray. Teach us how to become like you in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed listening to this podcast. For more information about our church and all that we do, please visit our website at emmanuel-church.co.uk.